Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 23 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. The Bubble Wrap Millennial. And I'm joined here by my strapping co-host, trading's own Lazarus, man who came back from the dead, went from manipulator to defibrillator. It's all good, though. It's healthy nowadays, squatting six plates and smoking menthol in between sets. I'm talking about the gorilla of House Street, JJ. JJ, how's it going? Good. Wow, you had a lot of espresso today. Jeez. Uh, you know, that's, that's the key, man. Once I took away the coffee, just espresso. Man, changed my life. Beautiful. <laughs> anyway, our guest today, she began her Wall Street career in 1991. A former market maker who is the founder and the CEO of Divine Capital, a frequent guest on Fox Business, a fox in her own right, a.k.a. Divine Danny. I'm talking about Danielle Hughes. Danny, how's it going? What's up? How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Glad you're with us today. I saw you were on Fox Business yesterday with Charles Payne. How did that go? Yes, he wasn't in, but it was great. It was all about the Fed yesterday. Everything mm-hmm. was Fed, Fed, Fed. So we were just talking right after, um, you know, the Fed said unch, and uh, you know, <laughs> just giving some, you know, some, some, you know, the fact that everything like 2019 is the flip of 2018 completely. 18, we tightened, tightened, tightened four times, um, and this year we're you know, releasing the hounds. So it's a, it's a totally different year and, and next year is going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Start of a new decade. So Danny, yeah, once again, pleasure you're on with us today. We're, you know, we're big fans of the women of finance here at confessions of a market maker. You know, it, it was funny when uh, we first found out you were going to be a guest. Uh, the first thing JJ said was, Oh God, I hope I didn't hit on her. Back in the day, I guess <laughs> I guess there was maybe a, a trading convention and both of your guys, uh, uh, your firms were at or something. That's it, so funny. Well, there were, there were seriously like seven women uh, in trading. <laughs> yeah. So I, was, I just happened to be one of them. So I, it's, it's totally fine and I don't remember. So how's that? <laughs> yeah, good, good. You know, you know speaking of that, so, so – just tell us how you started uh, on Wall Street and your come up through the industry, just to give the listeners a little background on yourself. Sure. So uh, I graduated from college with a degree in political science, which basically gives you no path to the future. And I thought, <laughs> I guess I have to go to law school, but I didn't really want to go back to school. So I, I went with a bunch of friends cross country out to California and um, loved it. I was in San Diego. It was really beautiful. I was bartending, waitressing. My dad would call me up every week, get a job, <laughs> get a goddamn job. And I was like, I have a job. I'm making good money. <laughs> I was bartending. But, um, so one day, some guy who was, who was at my bar was chatting with me and he said, you know, you'd be a great stockbroker. And I was like, what's a stockbroker? So that I had no family in the industry. I had nobody, you know, close to me or even that I, that I really even knew nominally who was, who was in the industry. So I knew nothing about, you know, what it was, but I was fascinated after going to his office Mm -hmm. and seeing all these fat cars and these guys (laughs) with huge watches. And I was like, I mean, I didn't want the guys, but I was like, I want a car like that. I want a watch like that. (laughs) 
you know, what they're doing seems interesting. And so that's, that's how I got into the business. So I was, I was a broker for five minutes and then, um, <laughs> and then I moved back to New York and, and got a job on a trading desk. And it was one of those things where I sent in my, my resume to headhunter and he called me up and he was one of those guys who talks really, really fast. <laughs> I got the best job for you. It's the greatest thing in the world. And I'm from Long Island, you know, so I'm living on Long Island and, and he's like, it's in Jersey city. And I'm like, I'm not going to New Jersey. <laughs> I'm not going to New Jersey for yeah. some job in finance, bro. I gotta go to New York. You know, it's like, no, it's in Jersey City. You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. And and I interviewed for a job on the trading desk, and that's how I got um, into trading. Wow. So that was my path into 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 trading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. You know, even uh, JJ himself. You know, it wasn't something people start, a lot of people we've talked to, they don't just start off right away writing finance. It's interesting. What, so, the, so the guy who found you in the bar, did, did he say specifically what was like, oh, the, what like qualities you had that would make you a good stockbroker? I think I could just talk my way out of or into anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that perfect. that's, you know, so, yeah, exactly. perfect. Was, perfect. perfect. at that time, there was no, you know, there was no internet. There was no way to research anything. The way that you got your information when people were buying stocks was like by some human on the phone. Mm-hmm. And so that I guess that kind of equality was um, most beneficial. So somebody who's like dynamic and, and can talk, you know, is, sure. is somebody who at that time was going to be really um, good at the sales part. So right. the guy's name was, was Anthony Elgindi. <laughs> who um, who has his, his own storied past, but he was the guy who actually said, you know, you should you should come in and see my office, and and he was extremely dynamic, and um, he was the head of that office, even though it was a it was a firm that was national, so he just ran that particular um, San Diego branch, and then when he moved to another firm that he started with another dude, um, I moved with him, me and like five other guys moved downstairs in the same building mm. and um and i got you fived with cause like for nothing they were like you stole leads i'm like you gave oh, really? me a phone book yeah a phone book that I like, those are my leads so here's your phone book back but no seriously they, they you five me and they had to like it took like two months before my my license was back up i remember wow. that i know jeez <laughs> really funny really funny Wow. And then he was, and then when I became a trader, he opened an account with me. He was, he was out of the business at that point and he was running, um, I think it was stock lemon, but it could have been called something else. Uh, Anthony at Pacific. That's what he, he called Pac- Pacific investigations or something like that. Something like that. And what yeah. he would do is he would get on, you know, none of these companies were really reporting at that time. So this is over the counter stuff, bulletin board, pink sheets, and he'd get involved in something that um, he'd have inside information on. Somehow he, he gathered this. Of course, we know how he did it. Yeah. But, you know, he would put out a report saying, you know, I don't like this name. This is terrible and I'm shorting it. And then the thing would collapse and he'd call up the issuer and he'd shake him down. He'd say like, listen, you know, I'll, I'll take my foot off your neck if you give me 100,000 shares of free trading or a million shares of free trading or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. And that was his deal. And they couldn't figure out how he was getting all this information. But apparently he had a couple of uh, stools in the FBI, actually wow. at the FBI. Indeed he did. Who were, who were finding out information on these, guy, on these people, like, you know, that this guy was arrested for drug yep. dealing when he was, you know, 22, <laughs> you know. And they figured it out because they essentially um, – 
I guess, knew what machines this information was coming from. And so they exactly. people. But you know this story. You know well, the story. Because I was on the other end. <laughs> the, the, the FBI agents had their brokerage accounts with my <laughs> boss at a firm that I had gone to because my prior boss got arrested by the FBI for trading for the mob. So I went to this new firm where the guy was like a PhD in analytical chemistry had his own jet and flew it. So I thought he was an intellectual, but no, we have dirty <laughs> FBI agents with their accounts in Canada because of course, you know, there's no reporting. Oh my God. And, and that's where they were clearing the stock, you know? <laughs> wow. And I got invited to that guy's house, Ilgindi's house the weekend before he got arrested. And I, and thank God my ex-wife was the most suspicious person in the world. I said, I'm going to San Diego on my boss's private jet. Uh, you know, to meet this client. And she looks at me, she goes, you're not going anywhere. She goes, this is a trap, right? This is a trap. Two days later, he gets arrested. I saw him on CNBC. I got up, I walked out of the office, never walked back in there again. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So was that, was that right after 9-11? Exactly. It was, yeah. And he, his background, so I think he's um, Egyptian. Mm -hmm. And I, I, he must have been tipped off because he was trying to get on a plane with a fake ID and That's a bag right. of jewelry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The bag of jewelry. <laughs> the bag of jewels. Oh, my God. Yeah. And they sent yeah. him directly to the Brooklyn House of D. So, yeah. so the, the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Detention Center, <laughs> yeah. where everybody I know has been there. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, so this is funny, folks, because what's going on is is she was on the, you know, they, the market makers were on the other end of all these crazy transactions and all the craziness was happening in Canada because it was technically offshore at the time. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's so true. That's crazy. I, I these stories never uh, get old. It's <laughs> the, the type of shenanigans that go on and, and uh, you know, I'll talk to JJ and every time we're on the phone, he remembers something different uh, that went on back in the day. It's uh, it's oh, incredible. It's incredible. Geez. So Danny, um, you know, I want to I want to ask you about um, not only the difficulties, but the benefits of being a woman on Wall Street. And I just want to like preface it with, you know, like my, my background's in poker. I'm a poker player. And I dated a, I dated a girl once. And, uh, you know, it's like a big issue in poker, like, oh, women get mistreated in poker. But she, you know, in which they do, which they do. I'm not I'm not trying to say they don't. But they're, you know, she also used it to her advantage because a lot of times guys soft play her at the table. They would show her her cards. They, they, like when she folded, they would show her her cards. Like, oh, like, look what I'm playing. And so she would use it actually as an edge. Yes. And as an advantage. So, yeah, I would just like you to speak on the, the difficulties, but also maybe the benefits. Yeah. I mean, I'll start with the benefits. I mean, one of the things that I, I found, like when I first started in the business at that boiler room, where they literally took your chair away in the beginning <laughs> of the day. Exactly. Gave you a phone book and said, start <laughs> dialing for dollars. And one of the... <laughs> One of the um, objection overcoming things was like, well, I have to ask my wife. Oh, really? You have to ask your wife? Well, did your wife do this for you? And I'm, I'm like, I'm not saying that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but I never got hung up on. And I'd open up tons of accounts because I was a different voice. So most of the time, I think that people receiving these calls, which were the majority of the time they were men, when they heard a woman calling them, they were less likely to hang up on you. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was, that was a benefit. So that, that did get me, 
um, you know, more accounts, at least in the beginning. So I didn't get crushed every single day, like a lot of these other guys did and get rejected. Mm -hmm. Um, the other, the other benefits I think are a lot of what you just spoke to, you know, with respect to not really being taken seriously and using that as an advantage because you're going to find out more information or they're, or they're going to get sloppy. And right. so you have a way that they, that they probably wouldn't literally let you see their cards, right, mm-hmm. um, if you were a man. So there's a lot of ways to kind of work the advantage of being a female. And even now, like going into meetings where, where we're meeting with treasury teams and, and you know, we, we, I've upped my game since I was trading like bullet and board and pink sheet stocks. So <laughs> now, now my clients are, you know, large fortune 100 companies. Um, but walking into some of those treasury teams, you know, it's all guys Mm -hmm. and then they see me and they're like, Oh, okay, great. You know, they're used to seeing just a bunch more guys coming in. Mm -hmm. So it, it just changes the dynamic. Um, I do think that there's, you know, certainly some, some detriments. I, I wasn't taken seriously for a long time, which pissed me off, Mm -hmm. um, when I was at my, uh, my, my longest tenured, um, market making firm. So that, that used to drive me crazy where, you know, they'd be like, oh, don't worry, honey, we'll take care of you. We no. got you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what does that mean? You know, at, yeah. I mean, at first I'd be like, okay, okay, great, great. Yeah. And they never took care of me. Exactly. Never- <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure they say that to guys too. They do. I mean, I oh, yeah. Don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll just find an inventory to stuff it into, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, I, I'm sure you, I'm sure you like carried that kind of like with a chip on your shoulder, I imagine. Totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that really drove my, um, it drove me to, to really start my own firm. I mean, I was, it's like the reverse inspiration of why I started Divine was because I was like, you know, if these assholes can run a firm, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly and they're all listening to this podcast right now listen i gotta pipe in because <laughs> I, I i was trained by a woman my first job on the desk wow. Wow. and i tell you one thing every female trader i have ever met who worked on the street has been an insanely good trader uh yeah. either prop market making whatever right they were sharp i mean and i've i've worked with a lot of knuckle-headed men Right. So I'm just saying, right. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I'd take any one of these females over 90% of the guys I've worked with. Yeah. You know? No, it, yeah. No, that's interesting. You say that Jay, because I, I know, you know, one day in our room, this was like brought up as a, um, a point of discussion there. There was a, so Danny, there was a study done, um, I guess like male versus, uh, female traders. And I, mm-hmm. I forget the sample size. I forget the exact numbers behind it, but in essence, um, the study concluded that like women, well, the women were more profitable, but they were also, I guess like their thesis was they are less prone to irrational decision-making or like fear of missing out from your experience, right. from, from your experience, what would you, what would you say to this? Yeah, I think that's, that's spot on. I mean, look, there, there are generalizations everywhere. I know, I know some men who are amazing traders mm-hmm. and some women who are really crummy traders, but I, but I do think that, um, there's an awful sense of um, there, there's like some kind of like um, conservativeism that I think mm-hmm. women bring to a trading desk that maybe men don't have as much of. And, uh. and that reverberates throughout the financial realm, like throughout all financial stuff. So like women, for example, 
will see something that says wealth management and they'll be like, Oh, I'm not wealthy. You know, I only have, you know, 600,000 over here and, you know, maybe 400,000 over here. And a guy with like not even two dimes to rum together will be like, I'm wealthy. (laughs) I need wealth management, you know? And so it's just a different, it's a different way of um, how we perceive, I think, either language or taking something seriously or not seriously. So there, there's an awful lot of that, I think, that are, that's different between men and women. Definitely, definitely. I, I think like yeah, the male, uh, which I think what you were kind of, is like the male ego, I think. Yeah. Or definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I've, I've seen this. And, and like, like I said, the lady who trained me, and shout out to Denise, I mean, Brokers would come up to the desk and ask you to do all sorts of crazy stuff because we're not licensed in the U.S., so we're crossing stock under the bid, doing all kinds of crazy things, right? <laughs> and, and you know, she'd be like, hey, what are you doing? And I'd be like, he wants me to do this. She's like, you can't do that, right? And she, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'd yeah. be like, oh, you know, and then the, the broker would be like, oh, I got caught trying to get the rookie trader to do something, right? <laughs> so... You know, but but she'd always want, I mean, she'd be busy. She'd be trading Toronto, Vancouver, and out of the corner of her eyes, she'd see me getting into trouble, right? And like within a second, she'd be like, like a mother uh, lion, you know, she'd be like, just grab me and like, hey, what are you doing? Right? Exactly. (laughs) It's the the ability to multitask too. I mean, Mm -hmm. when you've got a list of like 400 names and you've got all the positions basically in your head, I mean- when we first started, there was no like system that kept track of anything. You literally had to hand post yeah. every single thing that you did. Yeah. And you had seven keyboards and seven screens and seven <laughs> mouses on, you know, and you're like yeah. pounding it. You're like, oh, shoot, that's the wrong one. I got to yeah. go. You, know? yeah. so you, had to, you had to keep so much stuff going in your head. Um, you know, obviously, that's, it's completely opposite to what it is today. But at that time, it really yeah. kept you sharp, I think, mm-hmm. too. Oh yeah. I mean, I was sorry to interrupt, but I was, when I went to Jersey city and I, you'd go and sit at Spear Leeds and Kellogg, or you'd go and sit at these firms, you know, night, uh, you know, you guys sharp, all those places you'd see guys and they had a 300 list and they'd know where they were on everything and they knew where their order, it was like watching an octopus, you know? Yeah. Like it was just, I've never seen, like they had the situational, situational awareness of a fighter pilot. It was just absolutely amazing. Yes. You know? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, you you had to you had to look at your list all day long. You know, you knew exactly where you were. And you know, something that's really interesting too. At that time, <clears throat> settlements were seven days, and and in Canada, you were saying they were like what, like thirteen. <laughs> but they were seven days, and you're talking on the phone to somebody, and you're like, you know, I've got twenty thousand at five eighths. You know, and they buy. 2300 yeah you put it into a machine and magically seven days later both things match up yeah you know it's like and and really it, it really was magic in a sense because traders could have very easily the next day said you know what that went the wrong way i'm just gonna i'm gonna know you know 2000 Ex- instead of 2300 exactly and that never ever ever once happened to me i'm sure it probably happened to some other traders but it, it was not it was a rarity because yeah. your word was your bond. Your exactly. word was exactly what, what it had to be. Yeah. And so even now, like people who I know who are traders, like they instantly get like to the top of the list with me because I know that they have that, you know, integrity of word. Yeah, that's very, very, very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that was, when did they come out with ACT? Um, 
was it 96 or 97 when they started acting trades? Uh, yeah, actually, it's a little later. I think yeah. there was stuff where it was supposed to match up, but you know, it really didn't mean anything. You just see something on a green screen. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think actually was like the mid '90s or something like that. Yeah, that was that's you know? the. <laughs> I always remember because we had paper tickets too, which, you know, most yes. of the people who don't know, you know, like we had to write out our trades on these little blue and red squares, right? And then the timestamp machines that oh, you're not yeah. supposed to open and change the time. Like oh, God, yes, yes. They would watch yeah, those machines. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you open it up, you take your Bic pen, you go, <laughs> put it exactly the time you want, stamp it again, yeah. you know. Oh, God, yeah. And then That's compliance crazy. would be. You know, compliance between cigarette breaks would be watching you like a hawk, you know. <laughs> oh, actually, we were in the firms when you could actually still smoke in, in office. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. There was only one guy who smoked on our desk. His name was Joel. Okay. And Joel could smoke. Like, you weren't allowed to smoke in the building, but Joel was allowed to smoke because he was, like, the, the most famous producer. <laughs> <laughs> so he could smoke his little, like, black cigarettes, whatever he was smoking. It was just really gross. And the buildings were disgusting, and there were rats and rodents all around, and... <laughs> <laughs> and like roaches and stuff. It was just nasty. It was nasty. And for all the money that these guys were making, you would never know it from what oh, you were sitting Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Were you guys off Montgomery Street in that area or Yeah. So okay. we were we were originally at 30 Montgomery where everybody was in the same building. So you right. had Meyerson, Herzog, Herzog, Mayor and Schweitzer. Oh. Yeah. Um probably like five or six other ones all in the same building yeah frankel too and mm -hmm. you get on the elevator and you'd see like the uh, you weren't allowed to talk in an elevator like you weren't allowed to talk about your positions or anything like that oh yeah um but you'd get on and sometimes like some guys would get into fights because they knew that like, <laughs> and traded whatever you know and then there was a <laughs> bar downstairs that everybody would go after the close and then everything yep. was fine yeah exactly <laughs> everything's fine in the bar <laughs> I uh, know I my buddies my buddies were at Frankel so I'd always go and hang out there but, uh, oh but my they, god. they smoked so much you know? oh my god you know he'd come out of there it was coming coming out of a nightclub you know <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's man. insane that's funny it's funny hearing about this stuff so Danny you you started the Vine Capital in 2001 mm -hmm. uh, not the greatest timing what was that time like for you professionally and personally? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I left Meyerson in 98 and in 99 with one of my clients, he was the money guy and I went out and bought a broker dealer. So he was basically the money and I owned a small percentage. I think I owned 15%. And of course it was like, Oh yeah, you have 15%, nothing in writing. And, mm -hmm. uh, so we were running that firm, which ultimately became Divine, but he ran out of money in the dot-com collapse. So that was in like, you know, early, well, late 2000 really is when he ran out of money. And so I found another guy that said, oh, don't worry, I want to buy the broker deal. Because interestingly, my broker dealer was inside of an OTC bulletin board shell. So he wanted the oh shell. Oh my God. Okay, you know, right. how ridiculous, right? <laughs> so stupid. And there was nothing in the shell except for the broker dealer. Um, so I had set up a trading desk in New York City at 30 Broad, which is attached to the New York Stock Exchange. You know, it, it's essentially like right next door to where the New York Stock Exchange is. 
on on broad and we used to call it dirty broad that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> we're broad. we are dirty broad and my desk was all female we had an all-female desk nice we had one guy there it wasn't huge but we made maybe uh 200 and something markets at that time and then um I decided I, I amassed enough money to buy these guys out. And so I, you know, I think I probably could have done it much earlier, but I figured it out. I said, look, we're going to, I'm going to buy the assets and liabilities of the, and the broker dealer. You guys can have the show. And they were down in Texas. And I think I was like, he was always going to raise money for Danny. I'm going to raise you $2 million. Don't worry, baby. I got you. And I'm always like, you know, when is this guy going to, you know, yeah. raise this money? So he never did. And finally I was like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> so we negotiated this deal. I set up Divine. So I set up the holding company and then the broker dealer and, um, you know, put together the LLCs and everything like that. And on um, September 5th, I come into my office and my, my secretary was like, there's some guys in your office. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you whispering? You know, she's like, there's some guys that are in your office. So I go in and it's the kid of the guy that owned the place the, that, you know, the other owner. And he's like, we voted you off the board. And I said, oh my God. get the fuck out of my office. Who are you people? <laughs> what board are you talking about? Get, get out, get out of here. You know, there you go. So, and, and he has with him a guy that I had actually let go like two years before he was, he was parking stock, like at the end of the month for a friend of his, <laughs> at the end of the month, park in a position. And the next day he's getting it out. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Do you think I don't know what you're doing? So anyway, he, so that kid was there too. And, and so I was in the middle of a FINRA audit at the same, it wasn't FINRA, it was NASD. That's right. I was in the middle of an NASD audit. I tell these guys to get the hell out of there, screaming and yelling and kicked them out of the, I mean, it was a tiny office, but I kicked them out into the hallway, they're yelling and screaming. The NASD people come in, they're like, are you okay? Is oh that the God. FBI? <laughs> I'm like, oh, not the FBI. <laughs> people give me a break but i did they were very nice people and i said to them listen this is what's going on what kind of recourse do i have they had me call their supervisor at the nesd and she helped me make sure that they couldn't do anything and that i ended up with i I wrote a letter and i said listen if i if you don't give me this firm right now for the price that we negotiated i'm going to send this letter to the nesd and it basically said that you know these guys are criminals and they're trying to do this and they don't have the right licenses and blah 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 so the kid then he's like crying. He's like, I didn't know you could do that. Like, get out of here right now. And so, you know, then we had to like go and get it done. So I had wow. to call NESD. I had to get my my um, four letter acronym. So yep. my firm was called Divine. I called up one of my clients and I'm like, what should I do? Like, what should my acronym be? He's like, what are you kidding me? You're all girls, diva. So our symbol is Diva on the back. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what your give up is? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. So, so it's great because even now that I have guys on my desk, now they still have to say, like, we're Diva. So, <laughs> <laughs> like the ultimate payback. So anyway, that was like November, uh, sorry, September 5th, 2001. September 5th. 2001. It was a Thursday. So then that morning of 9-11, we still hadn't closed. I, you know, there was still some paperwork going back and forth. The guy called me. I was in my office by like 8.20. 
And he's like, you know, well, I don't have this stuff on my desk. I was like, calm down, dude. I'm not going anywhere. Just really, I remember saying specifically that I'm not going anywhere. You're going to get it. Don't worry. And then 9-11 happened. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I had come through the trade center that morning. I did every morning because I lived in Jersey City. Oh, wow. Oh, so you took so, the path train. Yeah, I took yeah. the path train. And I, I mean, I got there early. I probably, you know, I probably, I don't even know. Anyway, so, um, so that's what was going on for me at that time. You know, we were, we were trying to close the, the divine deal um, right, at, right at that time. And as I'm literally running for my life up the street, I'm like, oh shit, that's like the worst timed trade I have ever, ever done. You know, I mean, yeah. I, couldn't have, I couldn't have timed it more poorly, but wow. things happen for a reason. And I really felt like divine was the right name for the firm um, for so many reasons, mostly because I believed that. And I do believe that there is a higher power. It's not just money. You know, there is something else that we all have to um, aspire to and envision. And so, um, so we came out of it. Okay. I mean, we, we built the firm up, um, built an institutional desk after that. And, um, you know, then, then we, we made our move higher. Very wow. nice. Very nice. Oh, great. Great story. Great story. So Jay, you, um, you have some questions or you want me to keep going? No, um, no, go ahead. You know, you're, you're doing really well here. Keep going. Because you know, <laughs> the thing is, once I start talking to her, it's going to be stories about uh, well, all, you, all our old degenerate buddies. Uh, we, <laughs> so, we love, we love the degenerate stories, but yeah, you pipe. Yeah. You just keep yeah. piping in when, uh, okay. as you've been doing. So, <laughs> Um, Danny, so what, what's a commonly held belief in finance that you don't agree with? Oh, that's a great question. A commonly held belief in finance and so not necessarily in trading. Well, it could be trading in general, finance in general, but if you want to make it trading, yeah, that's, that'd be perfect. Um, I think oh, I'll start with finance. So in finance, it's that, you know, um, that, that debt is bad and credit is, is not, I don't mean like credit rating, but like credit is bad. Using too much credit is bad. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that that's true because I think that for a lot of people, I mean, for a lot of people, it is true, right? They should not have like a million trillion credit cards going on. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it actually is the reason why our economy has expanded so much is because of the whole credit system. Um, that exists in the United States and that's just now starting up in China and other places, which is why their economy is going to just go bazonkers um, over the next 10 years. Uh, so, so credit from the standpoint of, you know, being in finance is, it, it can really help you. And especially for women where we tend to not, you know, use too much credit or overextend or go out to, you know, non-traditional lenders. But sometimes that is the best way to kickstart you know, your dreams. Um, and then on the trading side, uh, something that's not true is that traders, especially during the time when I was um, making markets uh, in the 90s, um, that, that traders were, they, they were all colluding. I mean, that's something that People, oh, people thought that like, you know, they all had their own thing and every firm oh. was different, but there was so much collusion and there was so much power that these market makers have. I mean, case in point was night, but they oh, were God. not the only ones doing it. Yeah. Where they would have this flow. They would know before the market opens that they have 14 million shares of ABCD. Yep. 
So they'd be like slamming the hell out of it for the 15 minutes before the market opens, like showing you a million shares on Select Next and saying, get out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> <So> exactly. <laughs> down like, you know, six points, hit everybody, you know, knock it, knock it, knock it down. And then they buy the balance at the low print Mm-hmm. And just sit there as the market made itself back up, yeah. you know. So, so the the level of insider information, which wasn't like, oh, they have this great cure for cancer. It was inside <laughs> information like, oh, there's nine million shares for sale, and exactly need to get out. Yeah. Know? Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, geez, I remember those days. I remember people would give their like pinky to like work at night. You know. I know. <laughs> I know. And, and I actually got hired at night. So I left. Did Meyerson. you? I left Meyerson in 90. This is kind of a funny story. I left Meyerson in 95. So I was there from 92 to 95, either oh, 94 or 95, I forget. And I left because I was like, I am not doing any good in the world. I really? am not helping anybody. I'm not, you know, what I'm doing is not additive to the, the, global means of anything and i feel guilty about being here so i left really and i swear to god i swear to god <laughs> and i became a headhunter and it no was way. like just the worst yeah it was like the worst <laughs> although i met some really great people i have mm-hmm. to say some friends of mine that are still friends to this day but it was like i was like what was i thinking so i went back to meyerson okay. and before i did that i went and i interviewed at night so kenny i know kenny pasternak i've known him since he was at troster okay um and before he started night so i went up there right when they were kind of starting it off at 525 washington yeah because that's where everybody kind of moved from 30 montgomery to 525 <laughs> and uh i went up to interview with him and i sat down and we talked a little bit and there were literally like five guys in there and i'm like are you kidding dude like I don't really want to work with just five people. You know, they had a huge desk, but there was nobody there. And I just couldn't really? get jazzed. Yeah. Oh, and wow. I was like, you know what? No, I'm just going to go back to Meyerson like an idiot and work there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, yeah. So I didn't. They were right upstairs from us, too. We were like the floor below them. Okay. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still remember. I never actually went. I didn't spend too much time in night, but I was at Hill quite a bit because... Uh, Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, um, all those characters. And they were all from Staten Island. Everybody from yes, Rome. Yes. I don't know why, but it was all Staten Island, the whole crew. Totally you know? weird. I know. It's you weird. Know? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Staten Island. Yes. We- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Was it uh, Nick? Nick Pons? Um, Ponzio. Yeah. Ponzio, yeah. 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 Oh, man. Uh, was uh, people, uh, I don't know these people, but I know some people from Staten Island in their characters for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, uh, just Jersey City. I just have such good memories of those places. You know, it's, uh, it, it was, it was, it was the best time I think for me. <laughs> it, was, it was a fun time. It was definitely it was, a fun time. Yeah, we did have fun. I, I don't ever remember making so much money and laughing at the and laughing so much. Um, you know, because, because it was, it was, you know, it was, it was okay to be politically incorrect. In fact, it was encouraged, you know, I mean, because my call at Meyerson was Bobo and um, with the advent of the internet, Bobo, if you got, he got a hold of your email, he would send you these um, very lewd. Oh my God. The worst. They were pornographic emails. 
totally. And, and I remember getting some of those too. And the crazy thing was our desk was completely not unpolitically correct. The kind of language and ridiculousness that happened oh. on those. And we weren't the only one. They were all like that. Oh, I know. It, it was, was like Animal House. It was totally. And there was like a time where it was really fun for me. And then there became a time when it was just really not fun anymore. Yeah. You know, because it, 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 it's not so much that it's debilitating. I mean, I used to take those guys apart at the seams when I had kids. <laughs> totally. Like completely take them apart at the seams. Like one of my favorite insults was, Dude, I used to eat two guys like you for breakfast and be hungry by 10 o'clock. So give me a break. Let's take a seat. <laughs> oh, my God. We used to just really rail on each other. And the, and the, um, the eating contests. And oh, the God, yeah. Gross. It was just gross. Um, but it was a fun time. It was really a fun time. And you saw when things started to change. Because when we first got into the business, the parties were outrageous oh and there was my so God. much money and there was so yeah. much food and everything was at the highest end of this and yeah. these crazy hotels and like where they have Staney. Did you ever go to Staney in the city? Yeah, definitely. And did you ever go to the one in Whistler? Oh yeah. That was okay. awesome. That's where I met you, I think probably. Yes. And, and the one in Colorado was really good too. The one at Beaver okay. Creek. Okay. That one was great too. Um, but they would have these crazy events where, I mean, Donna Summer sang at one Staney. Um, yep. They had some amazing talent. And then, and then things started to change where you go to like Staney Week and all of the big parties were being thrown by the ECMs. Yes. So like Archipelago's party was like off the rails. <laughs> and you could tell that the money was moving in a completely different way. Like I was yeah. actually Archipelago's first broker dealer client. Oh, really? I, yeah. I saw what they were doing and I was like, wait a minute. So you don't have to be on both sides of the market yeah. and you don't have to hold a position and you can charge no matter what. I'm yeah. wrong business. You know? yeah. I was like, wow, this is really, so shortly thereafter we became agency only. Oh, okay. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Huh. So, so Danny, so I'm sure you work long hours or at least you used to, what are your thoughts on work life balance and its significance to your performance? Um, when I was a trader, I didn't have any balance. It was all, you know, it was all work all the time and I loved it and it was really mm -hmm. fun, but I didn't have, you know, a family. I wasn't married. Um, I was just a kid going to every single party and then, you know, showing up on the desk at least on time every morning and asking somebody for Advil, you know, but, <laughs> um, but then, you know, when I started my own firm, I had gotten married in 2001 and my husband and I both worked insane hours and it was fun and we lived in Jersey City and so we had access to Manhattan. So we, we were having a blast. But then when we had kids, it was a completely different thing. Like I, I even knew that when I started Divine, I didn't want to have the, you know, what I didn't want is people screaming at each other. I didn't want like yeah. phones being broken and keyboards being <laughs> smashed. smashed. Like, you know, I wanted people to talk with, the, with respect to each other. You know, so I wanted to have that kind of environment. And I knew that having a trading desk is not going to, I mean, I'd have to have a traders, but I'd have to have the right traders. Like I'd yes. have to have people who were, would be able to like be, um, you know, just professional and, and normal. <laughs> but, but even now, like I work, I work 
two days a week in the city. My office is still downtown in, in the okay. financial district. So I'm two days in the city and then I'm the rest of the week I'm up here in, in Woodstock where I live mm. and I work from up here. So okay. it's awesome. I mean, my, my, there's never any balance. I think balance is, is a, a nice aspirational thing to have. But, yeah, right, but right. I don't really think that, you know, some weeks I, I, I'm really proud of myself and other weeks I'm like, oh my God, I got nothing done or <laughs> I should have gotten this or I should have gone to that. But the, the priority that I have is my family and my kids and you know being with them and seeing them grow up because you don't get a second try at that you get right. a second try at trading something you get a second try at investing but you don't get a second try at that that's really sure true. sure sure yeah so it's uh really just having your priorities aligned yes in the right way for sure for sure it, anytime you feel like burnt out maybe is there was there like a go-to like hobby or Something in that manner. Was there a go-to? Yeah, I mean, I um, I'm a big I'm a big reader, mm -hmm. and oh, I'm great. fascinated with medieval history, and so oh. a lot of what I what I've been studying is is medieval history, um, and I love doing that. So that gets me outside of myself um, a lot of times, and then I. I do uh, a lot of stuff for my kids' school, um, and my priorities are, you know, obviously my clients are number one priority, uh, and and really making sure that I um, that I know them really well, and that I understand what their what their problems and issues are. And you know, I've gotten to the point in my career, and this was probably a decade or so ago, but I got to the point where I was like, I'm only going to you know do business with people that. I want to do business with, not mm. the people that I have to do business right. with. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't want to take any kind of crap from, from clients. I want, you know, in the same way that I wanted my, my trading desk to be respectful and professional, mm -hmm. I wanted to have those same kind of relationships and, um, and create that kind of environment for myself, you know, right. at work. So. Yeah. Good stuff. Awesome. Awesome. So what, so bringing it back to the medieval history that, uh, yeah. it's interesting. So what I, I, and I love history too. I'm, I'm a history buff. I love it, but medieval is not necessarily my favorite time. What, what's so, uh, what do you like about it? Ever since I was a kid, I was fascinated with knights and dragons too, but of course there really weren't any dragons, but, um, so the whole idea of chivalry <laughs> and how people, um, mm -hmm acted at those times and like why they went on crusades to go all the way, you know, across the world to Jerusalem to understand, you know, to, to kill other people in the name of God. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, that fascinated me because we're still doing that now. We're still mm. totally doing that now. Yeah. Facts. Um, and so that's why, you know, kind of understanding just the, the politics of, of, the church and the politics of religion and, you know, just the, the way that these um, really interesting societies became powerful in the way that they did. So that yeah. was fascinating to me. And now I'm like into, um, you know, what was going on in China and the Ming dynasty. And I'm, it's just, it's just so compelling and interesting and I love it. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I, I absolutely love history and it's a, uh, you know, like human, behavior human psychology doesn't really change no, too much it you know it's it's at least that's the fascinating part to me um, yes. any any specific books that you would recommend to the readers or to listeners 
uh, in that time period? It doesn't have to be in that time period. Maybe just uh, a favorite of yours or something that was really, uh, you know, like I've read books and I was like, damn, like I really felt it, you know, and it, you know, just anything of that nature. Yeah. So one of my favorite authors is a woman named Barbara Tuckman. Um, she lived in the 1900s and she wrote about, I mean, generally about war, but she wrote a book called The Guns of August, which is kind of the lead up to what happened in World War One and, and all of everything that happened and all of the confusion and the reasons why that war started. Mm-hmm. And the way that she writes is it just takes you there. And she gives you this deep dive into these people's personalities to the point where, you, you know, she's saying that, you know, this guy used to always uh, eat his food and spin it through his mustache. Like, so you were like really there. And she wrote this book called, um, oh God, it's something mirror. It's uh, a distant mirror is what it's called. And that book is about, the 14th century, um, so the 1300s, and a specific, she, you know, dives in and, and talks about a specific family that lived at that time and really takes you, you know, to France and England and um, into the life that those people led at that time and, you know, how, how they ate and where they were. And I just love how she Right. So you can pick it up and start reading anywhere in the book and just get, you know, totally into it. And I've probably read that book, you know, three or four times. Mm-hmm. Wow. Awesome. What was it? You said Barbara, what was her last name? Tuckman, T-U-C-H-M-A-N. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, Danny, what piece of trading advice uh, would you give to our listeners? So they're retail traders, small accounts. Uh, what, they, what piece of advice? I think the, the, the most uh, important thing to um, really uh, stay with is being true to yourself. So if mm. you are studying a theme or a story or a specific you know, name and you do the research and you really believe this is, you know, this is your thesis and this is why you're buying the stock, uh, and then the thesis, cha- or not the thesis change, but the situation changes, like it's not like that anymore, then you got to cut and run. You know, it's the same thing as, it's the same thing as hiring and firing. Hire slow, fire fast, mm, okay. right? So same thing, buy slow, sell fast. When you see that you're wrong, get out and move on. If you ever make a mistake or you have an error, get out and move on, sell it or buy it back, whatever it is, and right. just move on and stop, you know, and don't like try to trade your way out of a problem. Yeah, I think so. Oh boy, yeah. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. that's just the worst. You're holding on to something that you didn't even mean to buy or sell. Oh, and you're geez. like, okay, well, maybe this will go the other way. And it's uh, yeah. taking up all your energy. Exactly. All your energy, oh, yeah. You know? right. It's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we were, um, Something we were talking to uh, Damon uh, Pavlatos, he was telling us, he was saying that there was a trader, he had like a 50% win rate, but the guy was a profitable trader because he cut losses quick and his wins were so much bigger than his losses. And as you know, it, it seems like a simple concept, but it just really like hit home to me. Yes. You know, it, it's, and it really probably just comes down to discipline, being disciplined. And, you know, that's what I wanted to ask you, Danny, it was something I've been thinking on and, and what you brought up, you know, like traders are different everyone has their own style and, and stay true to yourself. But do, do you think there's like, 
uh, certain qualities or skills that every successful trader has? Like just like uh, universal, yes. like a universal. Yeah, I mean, good traders, the ones that stick around for a long time are, are super disciplined. Um, they're, they're, they are disciplined and then they uh, will admit when they screw up or admit when they make a mistake. Like not, because when you fake it, like when you're like, oh, I'm just I'm not gonna say anything about that. You're not being disciplined. You know, <laughs> right. you're not Definitely. saying like, I need to learn from that, right? So it's, it's constantly learning from yourself and honing and being disciplined in what you're doing. And, you know, <clears throat> markets change, but really they stay the same, much like history, mm -hmm. because, you know, the same shit keeps happening over and over. <laughs> we just didn't see the pattern for it yet. You know, I feel like we're in a market right now where we're in like 1999 and it's just starting to take off, like to the upside, right? Wow. And, you know, the, the wheels are coming off and all reason is out the door mm -hmm. and people who are like, oh shit, I was in cash and I better not be anymore yeah. are going to come, are, are going to come flying in. Even though we've seen a lot of money come out of the markets, I, I think that that's, there's a good chance that that could happen. Because um, when you look at some historical ways of looking at the market like like cape for example you know you're at you're at 30 where like the typical mean is 17 so it's a it's a time to to certainly have your eyes wide open but you know you can the trend is always your friend you can't buck the trend and mm -hmm. even though you think it's completely wacky and oh, yeah. off, you still have to trade the market you still have to be in the market that you're in you gotta love the market you're with Exactly. You know? <laughs> sure. I like that. I, I haven't heard that before. The trend is your friend. I like that. Oh, you haven't heard that? Uh, oh, that's so, that's yeah. an old one. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. no. I guess. Uh, yeah, I, not me. I, I'm still new to all this, you know. But uh, <laughs> good stuff. So, uh, Danny, as you know, the show's called Confessions. So we're yes. gonna, we're going to need a confession. You know, whether it's a, a wild because she incident. is a she yeah. is a market maker. And she is a market maker. So it's perfect. Oh, You're like the perfect type of guest. So it, any any confession that you can share with us. Oh my gosh, where do I start? <laughs> where do I start? Um, my goodness. I think, you know, my my big confession would be that like I really didn't even know the rules when I <laughs> when I got into this business. I didn't know what the rules were. And so when all of those guys got in trouble for collusion, like back in the mid nineties, remember yep. a lot of them got oh. like thrown out of the business. Oh yeah. Um, I was like, Oh shit, you can't do that? Exactly. Like, we're saying to our friends at like Herzog or wherever, like, listen, man, do, do a thousand, go down and then let me print the rest of what I got to print. And then you can go back up. Exactly. You know I mean? Exactly. Like, this is what we were doing. This is nobody taught us the rules. So that's exactly. that, like, I didn't know that I should ask if there are rules. There was nowhere to find rules. It wasn't like I was, I was like, Oh, let me hide doing this. Everybody was doing it. Well, so, the head trader from Sharp was unlicensed. Oh my God, was that Billy? <laughs> Billy Burke. Burke. Oh my God, Berkey. He was his brother owned the bar downstairs. Yes, Berkey that's right. At, at yes, Boston. yes, that's right. Right. Oh my and God. it's it's the very first Staney I ever went to. Uh, Burke was there with all these older guys, and my buddy, who ended up being head trader for Raymond James, he walks up. We're both green. And he goes, the first thing he does, he looks at Burke and goes, hey, so where are all the trader groupies? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, 
you know, and they started laughing. Thank God. I thought, you know, I thought that these guys would be like really, you know, hoity-toity, but thank God they were like regular guys. They were nothing close to hoity-toity. Thank true. God for that. Yeah, because because my, my buddy was just, you know, Spencer, he was just like Ray, like completely irreverent, right? So he'd be like, where's the trader groupies? Right. And I'm like, I'm just covering my face going, oh, man. Right. You know, oh, it's like, God. yeah. Crazy. Crazy. That's funny. That's funny. So, Jay, that's that's pretty much it for me. You got you got anything for her? Oh, no, it's just it's it's a pleasure. I mean, it's funny because you worked on the West Coast with people I know. And then you worked on the East Coast with people I know. I know. It's so you know, funny. It, it's amazing because Vancouver was the, uh, it was the epicenter of where all the Swiss bank and Cayman Island order flow came out of. And, it, exactly. and, they, and they piped it through Vancouver into Jersey City. So it's, <laughs> it's a direct line. A direct line. <laughs> So yeah, yeah I'm I'm really really uh, no, I, I, this has just been great. I, I it was one of the best times in my life. So you know, uh, I, I'm sure I've heard your voice on the phone. Um, you know, in in the old days. It's, I'm sure uh, of it too. I'm sure yeah, of it definitely, too. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and uh, no, we won't we won't keep you too long. But before you go, you gotta you gotta say, hey JJ, can I show you a bit? No, I'd actually say, hey, JJ, can I hit that bid for you? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Even better. Oh, I miss hearing that. <laughs> I miss that so much. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so, so funny. Great. I know, I do too. I do too. I, I, you know, hit the bids. Hit the bids. Hit yeah. the bids. You know, it was like I, a crazy, crazy time. I miss the human interaction. You know, this electronic trading is great, but boy, I, I just miss talking to people on the phone. Yes. Yes. Oh. Agreed. I do too. I do yeah. too. And you know, I, I, we get the pleasure of at least talking to clients who, um, you know, who are using us to, to facilitate their, their flows and, and yeah. using us as their experts. But it is, it is different. It's a different thing. Yeah, it is. It, it definitely is. And the practical jokes, you know, I mean, something would happen in Vancouver and then I'd get calls from, from Boca, you know, um, you know, guys giving me the gears, you know, that stuff. I, I miss that, you know. Oh, what? I mean, when I first started on the desk, one of the things that they, they were like, okay, honey, you ready to answer the phone? Like, we want you to answer the phone now. And I'd be like, okay, what do I do? And they're like, don't worry, you just scream it out, right? You just scream whatever they say, just scream it out. And then the trader will say, you know, what do you got? And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. So the phone rings. And of course, it's fucking Joel, right? I didn't know that. <laughs> but they were like, you know, hi, um, Underwater Airlines. What you, what's, what's the market for underwater airlines? So I'm like, underwater airlines. And people on the other side of the desk, what? What? Honey? I, can't, what? I can't hear you. you can say it again. Underwater airlines. You know, that one. And Dewey, Dewey, Cheatham and Howe. What's your quote? Dewey, Cheatham and Howe. What do you got? You know, and everybody's like, wait, I can't hear you. It might be Sal. Scream it over to him. He didn't hear you. He had me screaming like an idiot. And I, I mean, I must have probably done about seven of those before i finally got wise to them because i was like such an idiot you know yeah but it was really it was really funny <laughs> <laughs> that's great I love, yeah, I love hearing all these stories so you know with that it's going to conclude this episode of confessions of a market maker uh, if you guys enjoyed the podcast please rate and review it if you're interested in learning market profile if you're keen on trading a liquid market if you got a small account if you're a crude oil trader Come join JJ and I at microefutures.com. Danny, uh, tell the listeners where they can find you and anything else you'd like them to know. 
Sure. I'm on Twitter at Divine Danny. Divine is spelled D-I-V-I-N-E. And uh, I'm usually on Fox or CNBC once a week talking smack. <laughs> hey. With, with, with Charlie Payne, who I, I met back in 95, and we used to call him B- Billy D. Williams. That was his nickname. <laughs> <laughs> He is awesome. He's a great friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I adore that guy. He's a nice man. Yeah. I, I met him when I had just entered the business um, at a Discovery Expo, and uh, he was he was very nice to me. But my client, um, this uh, crazy Canadian promoter, knew him well, and we used to call him Billy T. Williams. He loved it. So <laughs> <laughs> He's got that vibe. Yeah. <laughs> oh god oh god all right all right jj any any parting words for no yourself? it's just it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and uh thank you you took me right down memory lane I, i'm 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 on montgomery street right now and <laughs> it, it, it's wonderful because I'm, well, I'm stuck up in the middle of canada right now and it's minus 30 so oh my you know, goodness yeah so Mo- well, montgomery street is uh is is like a tropical <laughs> dream for me right now <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I invite you guys to come visit me in the city anytime you're down there. Um, would love to see you and, and host you and take you around to uh, to a couple of fun places. Absolutely. So we take you up on that, Danny. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks for joining us. And so for Divine Danny, for the Saskatchewan Savage, I'm Cannoli Fingers. You stops. All right, guys. Good day. Thank you.